You can't say that. Traitor. Traitor. She's still sleepy. Are you not well, honorable member? When are you paying the money? Hey, hey. Hong, Hong, Hong. You are not allowed to be emotional. Take your seat. Draw the Lela Pili. That's unparliamentary. It's Tuesday, the 11th of December, 2018. It's Yay. been a tough year guys this is sunday times politics weekly the last edition of the year where we don't have a script of what we're talking about did Not, we ever have a script but but we just really want to come here and talk about the year that was and to quote former president jacob zuma we're just going to evaluate a bit a bit <laughs> Simasa, how was your year uh it was look with when when Obaba was removed, I thought it was going to be a very boring and peaceful year. Uh, but we've had so much, it's pretty, it's pretty pretty to evaluate from across political parties. The ANC, uh, Tom Moyane and Sol Ramaphosa have been dragging each other. <laughs> on For nine over. months, the baby <laughs> could have been born. <laughs> Dude! You know? <laughs> and, and, and Patricia dragged the DA also. Uh, the EFF has been fighting everyone. Yeah, literally everyone else. <laughs> you know, and uh, my my people in, in the kingdom, the IFP, they couldn't hold a, a conference, you know, also this year to decide on who's going to lead the party. So I think it's been a tough year for everyone, for all political parties, including us. I mean, the UDM has, has, has been the only party <laughs> that made some gains. <laughs> so, 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 I mean... How was your year? It was interesting. I mean, thinking back to where we were exactly a year ago, I mean, I remember sitting at that national conference of the ANC, wondering sort of what would happen when 2018 eventually comes. Um, this was obviously before Solar Ramaphosa was, an, was announced. And we were sitting there and we were thinking, okay, if if, if in Kosozana Dlamini Zuma wins, maybe our year will end up like this. And if uh, Solar Ramaphosa wins, maybe our year will end up like this. And I don't think anybody expected what eventually came either way. <laughs> so, so obviously the election results were announced at the ANC's conference. Then people kind of, you know, were tired. Um, and then the new year started where, where the ANC had its January 8th celebrations in East London. Um, and there was almost this kind of two centers where, where former president mm. uh, Jacob Zuma was still president. Ramaphosa was the, was the ANC president at the time and deputy president of the state. There was already this kind of, um, you know, Ramaphoria that was starting. But it was only until February. Yeah, and when, when that big chess game started to play in the ANC. And when the Zero New Dawn was given mm. birth to, really, and the whole Tumamina Brigade. I, I, I remember I remember when... Um, so it was supposed to be State of the Nation, and then the State of the Nation was would, was, was postponed because the ANC was going through their own drama mm. of trying to get rid of, of, of uh, Jacob Zuma. So looking back at the, you know, February this year. So January, it was just sort of everyone trying to see what's going to happen and predict the year that that's going to come. And then it was, um, you know, Jacob Zuma digging his heels in, saying he's not going anywhere. And then it was that one NEC meeting where David Mosondo stood up. He was the first person to stand up and called for, for, for Zuma's removal from office. And there was obviously these back and forth meetings. We know that the top six asked Zuma just to 
resign. Mm. Um, and he said, what did he say? Six months. Oh, yeah, he said, <laughs> but also he needed six months to do it. To, was to, it four or six? He wanted six months so that he can introduce, introduce Ramaphosa to all the world leaders. <laughs> No, we've been through the most. <laughs> so, so then, so then that NEC meeting, and then I still remember the, the like the chaos of like the the secretary general of the ANC then have to drive to to Matlam and Lovu mm. at like ten o'clock in the night, and then drive back, and there was like a whole lot of chaos. Um, and then they tell him to resign, and then he says he's not going to resign. And then he has that co- that interview or not interview the with the SABC. Yeah. How bad was that? Oh, I remember. I remember Zuma's sort of expression during that interview. You could see the man was angry. You could see him fuming, and you could also see, like, the words he was using. You could see that he was, he, he didn't. I don't think he quite realized what had happened. Yeah. And and but he, he there was still that element of him saying, "I'm I'm not going anywhere." So, <laughs> so when when that morning, that morning, so so we had to postpone our trip to State of the Nation because there was a postponement. But but our political editor said I should go. This he just decided that I needed to go to Cape Town that morning, and I was like, why the hell am I going to Cape Town <laughs> when all the action is happening in Pretoria, right? And at the same time that day, the Hawks raided the Saxon World mm. compound, and I was like, and I'm, and I'm literally at the airport. Um, no, I'm standing outside the plane, busy filing on my phone about what's happening in Saxon World, dying in the fact that. Um, that why am I going to Cape, to Cape Town? Town? There's nothing for me in Cape Town. Meanwhile, there's a caucus meeting ha- that happens, and then Jackson and Timbo says, uh, "We are gonna remove you if you don't resign." <laughs> <laughs> and literally, like 24 hours later, he resigned. He's the former president. Um, and that evening, I remember that evening. Um, so, so it w- you remember you remember that bizarre resignation letter. He's resign when he when he spoke to the nation. The whole oh, yeah. thing was not was mm. not a resignation. Mm. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, I was so confused when at the end he actually did say that he was resigning and that we'll see each other mm. somewhere. I'm like, huh? All along, I thought you were staying and you were digging in your heels. Because even during his speech to the nation, I mean, his resignation speech, and we were all trying to guess at the time. <laughs> okay, is this he? Is he actually going to resign? And the, as he went through his speech, talking about. Um, all the things he's done and, and, and all the things against him. And you're thinking, oh man, this guy's not going to do it. <laughs> Is he going to go live on TV and basically give the middle finger to, 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 to the ANC? And then eventually in the last line, he's like, yes, okay, I'm stepping down. But you know what it was, actually? I think there was, there was, there was some stories about it that actually, he, that, that let, when the staff left Matlamat Lovo that evening at like 5, 6 p.m., there was no consideration of resignation. That whole thing was written for a non-resignation. Wow. And then, um, you know, it goes to, then the speaker accepts it. And then, you know, he, it, it's tabled to the speaker. And then there's the election of Ramaphosa mm. as the president-elect. And then the chief justice um, holds the swearing-in ceremony um, in, in Tainhais. And I, and I, and I, remember, I remember Ramaphosa's demeanor in that time um it was a little bit like scared apprehensive and then fast forward to the was it the next day yeah it was the next day in the evening where he where he gave the the what some people call the iconic tumamina speech what what did you think of that speech reflecting almost a year now back 
um, which the state, state of, of the, the nation. nation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, there are things that I expected from him that I think he's kind of delivered on. Uh, specifically, looking at at kind of restoring our confidence on 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 our um, SOEs, right? But also, I still feel like he hasn't been direct and tough enough on cadres who misbehave in government. You know, he's been very lenient in terms of letting people uh, decide. But no, I'm gonna resign now. No, I'm not gonna resign now. Like who? Um, he. Look, with, with Malusi, I felt like he was supposed to make a decision when it came out that Malusi had lied under oath, you know. With Umatabile, he's been lenient. Uh, yeah, that's true. Even with, with uh, the former finance minister, he kind of let him do his own thing and resign when he wanted to resign. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know... I've, I think load shedding is the worst thing to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you have to evaluate his actual tangible speech, mm. right? This is what I tried to I do don't the other remember day. The no, no. So yeah. I went back to the speech, right? And I saw promises like inquiry into SARS, turnover SOEs, um, reconfiguration of government. I'm just saying these were the themes mm. that he promised to do. Like he it was his promise to the nation, and um, most of the stuff that he promised in that speech no, was, was done. Was done, yeah. right? Now, should you be celebrated for doing your work you promised to do? I don't think so. So, no. I think if you're looking back, looking at back at his speech, I think there was the sort of the beginning when we saw what Ramaphosa's priorities would be going into the year. We saw what his themes would be under his presidency and his and his priorities as a president, all the way back to States of the Nation address. Um, it was a very emotional State of the Nation address as well. I think he took uh, he took cognizance. From as to where we've come from as a nation under the Zuma era, than <laughs> yeah, and I think he brought all of that into his stage of the nation and and tried to give us give us almost a sense of hope coming into his presidency. And as you were saying, um, his his big drivers were um, the economy, um, corrupt uh, dealing with corruption with all the commissions as well, and also um, and also uh, bringing an end to poverty. That's that's one of the things we haven't really dealt with, and the other thing with land. Land was also a big thing that he had to go on, coming from the um, the national conference the year before. So in, in a way, if you do look back to his speech, I would say at least seventy percent of the stuff that he told us during State of the Nation address has sort of, well, maybe not seventy, but maybe sixty percent, or most of it, and the important ones have been dealt with, and that's surprising coming coming from mm. from from looking at State of the Nations under different administrations before, and where we've ended up at at mm. at, at the end of those years. So, so I would say from his promises, it, it seems like Ramaphosa is sort of delivering, even though it may not seem like it, because we're still in a bit of a crux as a nation, mm. aren't we? But the problem is insurmountable. And this morning, I was I was listening to Claudio Mutsuneng, the former COO of the SABC. He could one day be your president, Kwanisa. So you <laughs> do not want to say anything <laughs> and, right and, now. And I don't doubt that for a second, because... <laughs> anything is possible. Because anything is, impo- anything is possible. But but the the what I heard from him was him saying, yeah, no, under Saudi, there wouldn't have been retrenchments at SABC. So there are a lot of people who who are loosely referred to as Nazareth mourners walking around, especially in like former uh, heads of SOEs, etc., you know, saying that this current crisis crises that are that are plaguing the Ramaphosa administration, the economy, the sluggish economy, the job losses, um, the fact that our fiscus cannot 
cope anymore mm. with the pressures. Um, they're saying that this, these kind of things would have not happened under their watch. Um, and, and, and the reality of it is that um, what we see in terms of the economy, what we see in terms of the state of our, our entire fiscus is a result of state capture. Mm. It was a five to eight year project exactly. um, that systematically broke down our, mm. our, our institutions of state um, besides the capturing of individuals. So even though captured individuals were removed, the systems is completely de- decimated. I mean, one of the people you're talking about is uh, Coco Machella from Machella from ESCOM. Machella Coco. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. It's December. <laughs> so one of the people you're talking about is um, Machella Coco from from ESCOM. And if you look at ESCOM's trajectory since 2013, or since the time the Kupta sort of got their hands into the parastatal, um, massive deals that went south, um, buying coal that was not a good grade, um, whole b- money spent on stuff that money should not have been spent on in the first place. It's contracts with McKinsey um, and other um, uh, some of these auditing agencies. And then you turn to look back and you wonder how does one a person like Mr. Machella then come out and say, "Well, under my watch, this would never have happened." But it was under the actions of your watch that have left us in the situation. It's sort of the audacity that you've got to look at these um, Nazarek mourners to say, "Well." How can you even come to this conclusion with all the evidence we have um, in the public already? So is it is it for us as journalists, is it politically correct to call people Nasdaq mourners? Side I'm, note. I'm pretty sure that, uh, well, if you look back at Nasdaq, and I remember the lead up to the conference, people chose their sides and they were pretty blatant about it. And now that they've come out of it at a loss, I mean, it's it's not very difficult to to see why you would be. So angry. the so the AMC um, for the last year has has. Are you going to talk about unity now? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't believe in this fast call unity and renewal. What? It's not our business. Um, no, but the AMC has been has been going through the most in the way that there's been this push and pull phenomenon um, with the office of the secretary general, mm. who's very much implicated in state capture on one side, and then the president and those who supported him on the other side. Um, and then we saw that manifest in so many different ways this year. Um, but but. Zimas, do you think that, um, you know, judging from the, some of the provincial conferences that took place in the ANC internal processes, do you think that, um, you know, that's that's all done and gone now, that sort of empty Ramaphosa sentiment, or do you think that it's still manifest in structures? Mm, I Look, I think from, from, from what I've gathered from people that I've spoken with who were anti-Ramaphosa and pro-Mama, before Nasrek, yeah. um, a lot of them have decided that they will support this president, they will work with this president, not because they believe in him, but because they believe in the ANC. And they've used they've used the term that um, they are tolerating him. So, so you're talking about, these are obviously not your Maharani hotel plotters. These are no, no. Gener- okay. Generally, people from a, a couple of provinces that... Uh, the, the, the current president didn't have a lot of support. And some of them have even indicated that they are more than ready to have another strong candidate to contest Cyril Ramaphosa in the next conference, that they don't want him to have two terms. So they're playing the long game. So we'll support you now, and now. Then, but, but know very well that we're going to We take don't want you. Again. We are just tolerating you. 
Okay. Because you won. But then there was also the the spitty pity of Maharani and the and the and the that thing compromised a lot of people. That thing that thing coming out compromised a lot of people. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm allowed so, to. So, so talk about this thing. Talk about what 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 was the essence of that Maharani? Not the meeting, but that kind of agenda. It was um. Like like you've said, it was the, the Nazareth Monoras and they were trying to regroup and they were trying to make sure that come the list conference, we are uh, dominating the deployments. We will be able to loot if we need to loot and we'll still have power in, you know, in the legislature over Cyril people. So basically, even though Sir Ramaphosa would be president, all the people he would be forced to work with would be people that were loyal to former President yeah, Jacob Zuma. Yeah. Basically. Okay. But even, I- even, even the presidency of the Youth League, remember that uh, it, it came up that there was a discussion that this one, specifically Utando Kolo, must be supported for the ANC uh, Youth League presidency. Yeah. Now, you know how important the... the that league is, especially when it has a leader who has teeth, unlike uh, the current one that we have. So whoever wants to launch an anti-Ramaphosa campaign can easily use the youth league, get on the street, on the streets, swear on this guy, uh, protest against this guy, uh, just change the public sentiment within the youth against this guy. So if you have your person in, in the youth league presidency, or maybe even alliance partners, you know, so, yeah. But moving away from party politics, I mean, it wasn't as an eventful year because within the party as it was in the state. And there was um, Ramaphosa's first cabinet that he reshuffled, brought in in Klantla Nene. Then there was um, there was the resignation of Klantla Nene and then the latest reshuffle where the death of um, Edna Molewa and the resignation of Malusi Gigaba led to another reshuffle. And so that was happening. Then there was also the State Capture Commission, which I think disarmed many people uh, because people were coming to this commission. I think people honestly thought that people were not going to be to be frank and really honest of about what really happened. And if you hear like someone like Nguagoro Matlodi, I mean, we've written these stories about what happened um, uh, uh, with, you know, you, uh, Jimmy Mzwalele Mani and all of these kind of things. But for someone to say these things under oath is very different to mm. someone saying things to an interview, bits and bobs on ENCA or Sunday Times or wherever over a course of a number of months. And someone was telling me last week that this would enable many, many other people to to start talking about their lived experiences of state capture. I mean, you were there. Mm. Do you think the State Capture Commission so far has left the country richer? Um, or I mean, or has it empowered us or disempowered us? I think we must look at both sides of the story here when it comes to state capture because it's also... Um, also gathered quite a bit of criticism um, from from people in the public, also from the EFF and from other members of society. Um, on the one hand, people are saying that p- those who are coming to state capture are not giving hard evidence of of what happened. Um, if you look back, um, 
who can I who can I bring to the fore here? If you look at Praveen Gordon, for instance, um, the evidence that he was supposed to have led was supposed to have lifted the lid on state capture. Apparently, that was the expectation. And what he did when he came here was that he gave us an analysis or his um, very academic accounts of what happened during state capture. (laughs) Um, That's just one example. Um, But I think what people are forgetting is that when it comes to somebody like Mr. Ramashlodi or somebody like some of those Treasury officials who came in as well, their lived experience is evidence as well. Um, we, we can't discount lived experiences as, oh, no, this guy is just making up stuff because all the information has been corroborated, either by the media or by other colleagues, for example, from National Treasury who came in to testify on almost the same thing. And the lived experience is just as important as the evidence and the emails that are out there because it gives the human elements and the human corroboration to what exactly happened. Because you can have a whole lot of data of evidence sitting on it. Yeah server somewhere mm. but if it's not if it's not sort of uh, uh, reduced to the human pattern exactly. that involved in state cap that was involved in state caption how the groups has actually went about yeah. doing what they did uh, um, and so 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 I mean and and what one the one thing people forget is that it's a multi-phase mm. inquiry exactly so I this mean, part that we've been hearing is it a very narrow exactly. part in relation to the terms of reference of whether mm. the Guptas had any undue influence I in mean, hiring and firing We're still people. only dealing with one or two of the terms of references. Of, of 18 or what of, was it? Yes, um, of, of, of almost, uh, more than, almost 18, I think. Yeah. And, and I think people are forgetting that. Like People attack Praveen Godan for, for giving his sort of analysis of state capture, but it's not the last time we're going to hear from him. Who knows, he's probably sitting with a whole dossier or uh, stuff, or maybe sitting with nothing at all. But at the end of the day, uh, as you're saying, the emails say one thing. I mean, the email can can show you an attachment from the Oberoi Hotel in Dubai with somebody's name on it, paying for accommodation for some other politician or state official. But when somebody else, like perhaps Fakey Mentor, comes here and says that she was offered a job and this is the conversation she had, and uh, some of it has been disputed now, but yeah. um, or when Barbara Hogan comes in and yeah. says, this is the conversation I had, then you start to link okay, well, this is what happened in this conversation in this dark corner. This is what happened in this room behind so closed doors. So there's a pattern that's and then, and then the whole pattern emerges and then you realize there were people behind this and there's a human face behind this and this is what happened. So I think we, don't dis- we shouldn't discount um, all of these little details um, because uh, it, it'll be a major loss to, um, to, to the final report or, or, to the, hmm. or to the reality of what state capture was hmm. at the end. And also not forgetting this is just one small hmm. basic element. Really, yeah. I think this is probably the easiest element to exactly. go to. One stuff about joint ventures and Denal Asia and all of those hmm. things come into play, um, it really isn't going to be just people coming here and saying, um, you know, I was offered a job, whatever. Mm. It was here. I was instructed to flout the law in these yeah. and these and these instances. Yeah, I think we're prejudging the State Capture Commission too quickly. It's only just started its work. We've still got one and a half years yeah. left. If not more. <laughs> if not more. And and I think, but but c- talking about commissions, because I, I also attended the SARS Commission, and that was explosive to me because we sort of understood state capture from 2013 as the revelations started coming and the Gupta leaks. We all sort of became a bit immune to it, if I could say it. So what happens in the state capture inquiry? We're like, oh, okay, well, we knew this. I know what you're talking about. it. But at SARS, we knew there, were, there was trouble, but we didn't know the extent of the trouble in SARS. There was serious shit there. And <laughs> your, oh, Can I, I say serious? I, <laughs> I used to sit in that room 
and just sit there with my mouth open the entire time, trying to write and try and comprehend what was going on at the same time. People talking about um, how they had 25, of, 25 years in the industry and their, their unit was just canned and they were sitting reading magazines in their desk for six months. Do you remember the lady months. that came and <laughs> said she, she, was, she was given a promotion and not to not do anything? Exactly. And, and it just showed that we sort of knew SARS was in trouble, but when you, when you saw the human aspect in SARS, because almost everybody who worked in SARS came to, I mean, all the senior heads who were affected came to testify, and you just sat there like, wow, how did we let but, this happen but you know, and not do anything about it? You know, you know what sucks, uh, when I mean, is that out of everything that has happened at, at SCOs, you know, throughout government with this mm. whole state capture, state capture thing and corruption, is that um, when the whole spitty pity around whether the former president Zuma will resign or not, um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be in Gandla at the time. Mm. And uh, people were very hostile towards us. Mm. It probably took us two days to warm up to people or even let them speak to us. It was impossible. They were blaming the media for getting Zuma fired. Mm. Uh, they were telling us everything good that he's done for them, that now they have electricity, now they have water, and, uh, you know, he has given their kids bursaries through that foundation of, of his, and I think Dudumieni also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, uh, it, it's, it's all well and good that he's done well for the people of his village, but my, my worry is that um, the South African voter, especially the rural voter, how aware are our rural voters of this whole state capture thing and how the consequences. well and the consequences how well have we reported it how likely is it uh, to inform who they vote for in the next election mm-hmm. you know and you raise a very important point because i think for much of this year we were reporting for each other as the media yeah and not and the side and i mean not, not taking anything away from you but if you have to ask someone like if I have to walk to Brabant and ask, what did Robert Nugent recommend? They won't know who Robert Nugent is, and an informed person yes. may not know yeah. who Robert yeah. Nugent is. Yeah. I think I think what we've been what we've done wrong as the media, well maybe not wrong, but okay, this has become introspective where very quick. What we've lacked here is that we haven't sort of explained properly and more extensively the role of state capture and its effects on the ordinary person on the ground. It's all well and good and to say that millions of tons have been stolen from ESCOM or bought at a lower price. But now that we're dealing with load shedding, now you can make the connection. But VBS was done very successfully. VBS was done very yeah. successfully. SARS, not so much. Um, You're not getting your return? Why are you not getting yeah. your return? This is why. But we haven't, exp- we haven't joined... Join the dots. Oh God! <laughs> you Connected sound like the dots. Uncle <laughs> we haven't we haven't done it well enough. And, 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 the mere bank branch is and here. Not, <laughs> and not just with 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 SARS, and but also other elements of state capture as well, which involved Denel and. Um, I mean, Denel is and bust. Transnet, Denel for is example. Bust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and you're right because we talk about um, issues of suspension for CEO of Transnet, but but. It's it's done in so much in so in in isolation that the bigger picture of this was the guy he approved this dodgy contract in this meeting in 2014 he did this in 2015 and as a result he's being suspended for A B and C reason it's almost like 
that context is being missing. So people are just like, oh, another corrupt person is being dealt yeah. with. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So, Zim, let's talk about the DA. <laughs> <laughs> We're up there. DA correspondent. In, in the absence of up here with Jake Leg. <laughs> the real DA correspondent. <laughs> Oh, the Blue Party has had so much drama this year. I don't know where to start, but I think the most, um, the biggest drama is is was the whole Patricia Dillow thing, um, where despite them dragging her to court, she was mooring them every time, until uh, sort of a compromise was reached that she she resigns and uh, she leaves the party. Uh, but you know it. The implications for the DA is that Patricia has her own people. Her constituency. Has her own constituency. So they are going to lose those voters. And um, I don't know how that's going to affect them. But uh, I've, I've kind of sensed from a lot of, of senior DA people that they, they are very concerned about the Western Cape. Uh, and and how much the whole Patricia thing will cost them in in the next year's election? For me, if I could if I could butt in there, um, looking at the DA, I, I think the whole Patricia Dillow saga and 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 a lot of other crises that hit the DA this year was sort of gave us an insight into how the party works. We were, I think, everyone for the first time. For the first time, I think in the media we were all very focused on the ANC um, because we knew the ANC. We we know the ANC; they've been around for a long time, so we know how they work, which faction is where, who supports who, how the processes work. And I think for the first time, we've given we've got a little sight into the DA, how their processes work, and who's aligned to who. Well, and and a bit more than that, and I think. What what sort of happened with the Dillil saga, and, and a lot of people will argue both ways here, is that, yes, Patricia Dill has a big constituency in the Western Cape, but also you have to look at the Western Cape and how it's structured um, by race and by, pop and by demographics. Um, the ANC in the Western Cape is is, is not really there. <laughs> Let's be honest. It, by it, its own fault. Exactly. Um, the EFF is not going to be very well supported in the Western Cape. We know this. Um, so if people in the Western Cape don't vote for the DA, who else are they going to vote for? The, 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 the reality of the situation is there is no other alternative. Mm-hmm. I think the DA, my prediction for next year is that the DA will maintain their vote in the Western Cape, but they've missed the opportunity to campaign properly for Gauteng. And I think that's what, what happened for the DA. Their loss was that they focused too much on sorting out the issues in the Western Cape, a province that they're strong in. And they've sort of sidelined the province that they were supposed to be gunning after, which you is don't, you don't think Patricia is going to present an option for the Western Cape? I think, I I, I think it's it's too uh, it's it's too too late. Too, too late. Uh, I mean, there's not enough time until elections. I think for her to get a good enough standing to really overthrow the entire DA <laughs> in the Western Cape, maybe she'll she'll make some inroads in Cape Town. Mm. But I don't think she'll make inroads to the Western for, Cape. For me, the most interesting thing right now, uh, going into next year for the DA, is to see who makes the parliamentary list, mm. who's going to be in the parliamentary caucus. Uh, the first time ever that Musi will have some sort of his own mm. caucus, not the one that he inherited mm. from Helen, which was, a, we've been told, kind of bullying him and overriding whatever he's coming mm. with. Uh, so especially, you know, concerning the whole diversity clause mm-hmm. thing of racial representation in the DA. So Which is actually going to be a very big thing. Yeah, it's 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 the it's it's a big deal. So we'll see if we'll have um, a bit of 
more black faces behind Musi, mm. you know, not just people with black dads. Well, that, that depends on how long, <laughs> how long Musi lasts himself. Mm. <laughs> so nah, he's going to last. <laughs> so the thing is that the only reason why the DA went through the most this year is because they actually have some real power now. There's some real resources up for grabs. Why do you think all of these years the, ANC, the, the DA didn't have internal shenanigans mm. when the ANC was going through the most? And it, it's a simple fact that they, there is no contestation when there's no real power at, yeah. at stake. Mm. Now there's some real power. Now there's some real resources. Mm. Um, and, and, and so that's why you're going to see you're going to see this kind of splitting and see this kind of factionism. It doesn't happen because just people don't like each mm. other. I mean, that's a normal part of life but but the reality is when people when vested interests are competing for the same pool of resources or the same influence uh in 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 in, in the way those resources are used then then you're going to Thank you're you. going to have this type of of of, of divisions and this types of of of, of, of fighting etc and so i think the the the, the da we underestimated um uh, that or rather we didn't think the ANC, the DA, let me rephrase this. Let me get my thought in right. <laughs> we didn't think the DA was capable of factional fighting because we thought the ANC had the monopoly on that. Not realizing that it, any political party can be victim to that as long as they have some power and control. Yeah. Oh, well, as even, long as there's, even if there's opportunity for that power and control to come in. Exactly. Looking at, at the, the contest between uh, Makashule Ghana and uh, mm. Sodim Simang, yeah. you know, for the premiership mm. of Gauteng. They don't even have the premiership, but they were fighting mm. for... <laughs> The candidature of the candidature. That that thing. Candidature. English. (laughs) But but yeah, so so I mean it's been it's been a hectic year all around. The economy has been uh, I can't find a good word for it. That a word. bitch. Sorry, you <laughs> <laughs> take that out. <laughs> or beep it. But the economy has been doing really badly. And that's because of a myriad of things, particularly because emerging markets have been uh, collateral damage in the trade wars between mm. the US and, 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 and Russia. And South Africa's foreign policy was also tested a little bit this year under Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, we saw it uh, in his in his travel to Nigeria. We saw it in his travel to the Middle East. Um, we found that the Western world and the European world um, adore the the ground that he walks on, um, and I really, really found uh, uh, you know a friend in him. We saw uh, Justin Trudeau. Mm. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Uh, the Canadian Prime Minister, you know, literally fangirling <laughs> <laughs> around Ramaphosa. So, so I mean, th- those those kind of things are important to watch because it will it also plays a role in in how much of foreign interest there would be in the selections mm. all of those governments and and, and 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 world powers so to say have jumped on the ramaphoria mm. bandwagon i mean oprah winfrey but but someone said something interesting that hillary clinton had oprah and beyonce support and she still lost it <laughs> 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 that is true but that i mean is true. it's just it's a it's a fascinating thing it's a fascinating thing um for me 
what sucked this year was the price of fuel and the cost oh, of yeah. living. Oh, yeah. Tell me about Things that. Things were just damn expensive <laughs> this year. Okay, guys. What are you looking forward to in the new year? <sighs> Covering elections for the first time. <gasps> oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be by your side. We're going to be giving you the Red Bull and the power banks. <laughs> and we're going to buy you your first pair of Converse election tackies. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't I mean, wait. I think, I think I'm also quite looking forward to elections as well, but not for the same reason. Um, I'm, I'm really dreading covering elections, <laughs> but I'm actually looking forward to the outcome. Not so much... Um, for the results, but just because of some stability afterwards. I think everybody's panicking around um, what's going to happen. Will the ANC drop below 50? Will it mean coalitions? What's going to happen to the country afterwards? And I think that we just need to just take, we just need a break. <laughs> once <laughs> once elections come around, I just want to feel like, okay, there is also in, this is what's going on. Okay, this is where we're going for another five years. Let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy that ride. It ain't going <laughs> to be like that, honey. It ain't going to be like that. This is a country of I'm being, <laughs> I'm being very optimistic, but I just want. I'm just looking forward you need to a that. Retreat. <laughs> I'm looking forward just. Just I'm, I'm just. I'm just looking forward to knowing what's going to happen instead of being, instead of sitting in this rut that we're in now, um, contemplating what could and could not happen, especially with land and other other things, other big important things. So I'm just looking for a bit of stability, basically, after elections next year, sure. even if it doesn't come. But at least I know where we're heading. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 I'm not really interested in the in in the political processes of next year like the elections because um, okay I mean obviously we'll cover it whatever but for me what I really 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 want to focus on next year is understanding our criminal justice system literally unpacking how the hell our criminal justice system is the way it is and how nobody is going to be prosecuted Mm. for anything (laughs) unless I mean, you know, someone was saying today, yeah, uh, what happened to the thing about innocent and proven guilty? What if there's no institution to prove you guilty? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when there's so much of evidence yeah. against so many people, hmm. how is it? Do you, do you have faith now that now that we've got a new NPA boss no. in Shamila Botoy, that we're going to have a turnaround of our criminal justice system and our prosecution authority? I don't. I think we're too far gone. And the thing <laughs> is, she's, what she's going to do is she's going to focus on low-hanging fruit. Yeah. But the, the, the reality of it, the South, South African criminal justice system does not have the capacity to prosecute white-collar crime. Oh, we yes. Can barely, yeah. We can barely prosecute people for murders done in broad daylight <laughs> with a number of witnesses that are collaborating uh, what happened. You think you're going you're gonna to do a sophisticated money laundering scheme where accounts were opened in yeah. Russell Khaimah and then money was transferred and... The biggest, proof, the biggest proof of that has already been the withdrawal of uh, from the NPA of the Stina case. Um, that's already. a that's straight cut case. Exactly, that was a straight cut case. I mean, we thought, I mean, we the media list basically gave you everything in the palm of yes. your hands and said, "Here, go and do the work that so, we so, cannot so do." So not only did we <laughs> prove corruption, we proved fraud, we proved money laundering. Yeah. If you can't get the person on corruption and fraud. How easy is it to prove money laundering? I mean, you can see the paper. They'll follow the damn money. (laughs) So, yeah, I I have no faith as yet in our criminal justice system. I I sort of also feel like heading into the state capture inquiry that I'm also starting to, to fear that 
even though they'll come to these massive resolutions and these massive recommendations that we're still going to be years and years and years away before somebody actually gets put behind bars for state capture. The same <coughs> thing the same thing I was thinking today with the VBS report that was that was uh, 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 released by the provincial uh, treasury in the in, in the Limpopo. Limpopo, yeah. And and you know the premier Stanley Mutabata said this morning that you know there needs to be uh, no delays in 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 seeing people behind yeah. bars and I was like mm-hmm. but but you don't even have people who are able to understand the crime. Yeah. That's the thing. They, they, they're literally these old police officers that can't even comprehend how criminals use different ways. Mm. But it's also, it's also that the, the, the police officers, the veteran police officers who were good at investigations have been purged out of, well, not the police officers, but the investigators and the good prosecutors. But that was part of state capture, was informating the state. Yeah. So they've all been purged. So we're left with people who do not understand these type of crimes and all the good people have are gone, essentially. Yeah. And if you look at VBS, it's also what would seem a cut and dry case. I mean, the, the whole assessment's been over, the investigation's been done, malfeasance has, has been found, and these guys are still roaming around. And still <laughs> issuing statements to say they 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 not their conscience is clear. Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Their conscience is clear. <laughs> but but yeah, it's been a tough year. Hopefully next year will be better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully next year will be better. Simasa, any final words? Um I'm just ready to go home. I'm tired. It's oh, been Are you passing by in Kandla on your way back? Uh, <laughs> back I may just pass by. So I've I've never been to a Zuma Christmas party. I really want to go one uh, like to just see what the vibe is like. Have you been to one? I've I've never been to one, but uh colleagues who covered it last year were saying that uh the donations had already begun uh, drying up. You uh, know. Because people, yeah, yeah, okay. After Nasrek, so I don't know. I don't know if it's still worth going there for that party. But the Gogos, they have a lot of fun there. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I don't think anyone's going to pay that much attention to it. It's not. It's not the state president anymore. But it it it, it was. It was interesting to observe, even from like media reports and the and TV. To see why Zuma was so popular on the ground, you know the why, the, the charisma, the mm. you know the the, the lie that he, that was sold to the people almost that this is your savior, this is your guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've come a long way. We, let's be proud of ourselves as it's media. Been a long year. We need to get like. It's been a long year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to recharge, guys, and and come back stronger than ever. It's going to be a busy year, no doubt. So thank you guys for joining, all five of you that listen to us. Jokes. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> we love you. Uh, and and um, share this podcast and tell us what you like. You can follow us on Twitter. Thank you guys for joining us on our very last episode of Sunday Times Politics Weekly for the year 2018. We will catch you next year. Cheers. Bye. Bye.